What does the future of health and healthcare look like? Well, if you ask growing numbers of students in the health professions, they'll tell you they hope to be an integral part of the answer. And they're starting now during their training to shape the possibilities. Medical students, nursing students, pharmacy students, and others in training or already in jobs have more opportunities than ever today to learn about quality improvement for health and health care thanks to IHI's open school and other efforts. And this is really important. Students also have more opportunities than ever to apply what they're learning to real problems in need of solutions in hospitals, clinics, and in the community. We're going to learn what some students are up to and how health and health care organizations can benefit benefit and make these collaborations possible. And we're going to hear from some student initiators themselves and others on this edition of WIHI. And I want to welcome you to WIHI. We're an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We come to you biweekly, and also you can find us later on IHI.org and on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan, and I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. It's great to be back after a brief summer break. When you learn about the improvement initiatives students have jump-started all across the U.S. and globally, you do sometimes do a double-take. That's what I did. Because of the grasp these learners already have of QI methodologies and their application to some real-world problems and some tough problems. So wherever you're situated today and whatever your role, we hope you'll be energized to catch this wave. There's something in it for everyone to introductions in just a moment, but first, here's IHI's John Gothier, and he has some reminders about how to make the most of your time with us on WIHI. John. All right. Thanks, Madge. I uh, have a few items to point out to help everybody make the most of today's program. On the right of our screen is the chat window. If you've tuned into WIHI before, you know about all the great conversation that place, takes place in the chat. It's also where you can ask our panelists your questions, so make sure that your questions and comments are directed to all participants when Madge opens up the floor to questions. This allows our panelists and your colleagues on WebEx to see all questions and comments being shared. Now, there are a few ways that people have connected to WIHI today. If you're logged onto your computer and listening to the program by streaming audio coming through speakers or your headphones, you'll see a box in the top right-hand corner labeled Audio Broadcast. If you're on a less reliable internet connection today, we recommend calling in on the phone. If you experience any audio issues, please send a quick message to the host in the chat, but a simple solution to any audio hiccups may be to pause the WebEx audio player and then press play. If that problem persists, please let the folks at IHI Customer Service know. We have their number on the screen right now. Also, if you're hoping to get your hands on today's slides, I'll provide a direct download link in the chat. Tomorrow, they'll be posted at our archive over at IHI.org WIHI, along with today's chat and other helpful articles and resources mentioned by our guests. You can also email info at IHI.org, and they will send them your way. And finally, we're always looking for ways to improve the listener experience here on WIHI, and we could use your help for that. Please take some time after the program to fill out our very quick survey and let us know how we've done. Back to you, Matt. All right. Thanks so much, uh, John. And don't forget, if you like to tweet, either during or after the show, thanks for including at the IHI in your tweets. That way we can bring others into this conversation as well. So we're going to start off by uh, an introduction on the phone. Joining us by phone from Portland, Oregon, is Rebecca Bally. Uh, she recently received her master's degree in public health and health management and policy. She's a newly appointed member of the $100 million Healthier Lives campaign leadership team, bravo, and has been a leader in her local IHI Open School chapter. Becca currently works with the Oregon Public Health Institute, and a big, hearty New England welcome to you, uh, Becca. <laughs> Are you there? Thank you so much. Yes, right. happy to be here. Fantastic. And we got everybody else into the studio, which is just a super thing as well. So here in the studio with us, sitting across the table, is Justin Slade. He's a senior student advisor and former president of Boston University School of Medicine's IHI Open School chapter. He's a fourth-year medical student who's been nothing less than a champion for quality improvement throughout his medical training, and you're going to get a sense of that in just a moment. Welcome, Justin. Thank you. Also in the studio, right across from me, we welcome James Moses, who's the Medical Director of Quality Improvement at Boston Medical Center. In this role, James oversees Boston Medical Center's QI training program and also this integration of patient safety and quality improvement with the educational programs for students, residents, and health professionals. James also serves as the academic advisor to IHI's Open School. So thanks for being with us. Thanks, Madge. All right. And just off my left elbow, I'm thrilled to welcome Jessica Perlow. She is the Senior Community 
community manager for the IHI Open School. She's charged with leading IHI's effort currently to mobilize 30,000 students to take action to improve the health of their communities, and she'll uh, be telling us more about that in just a moment. Welcome, Jess. Thanks, Matt. All right, we're going to get started, folks. Uh, thank you so much for joining. Uh, for anyone new to WIHI, we spend this first half hour kind of uh, laying the groundwork for you, and then we welcome your comments and questions uh, during the second half hour. So uh, start thinking about things that you'd like to better understand uh, based on some of the remarks today. So I'm going to start with Jess Perlow. And uh, Jess, I think you'd agree there's a real hunger for QI knowledge and a tremendous spirit of activism that underlies the IHI Open School. Jess is going to show you some pretty impressive stats about the Open School's reach right now. So students want to apply their learning to real problems uh, and real settings. And one thing the IHI Open School is trying to do is equip students with the confidence and the knowledge so they can be change agents while they're still in training. So Jess, tell us uh, kind of how that, how that works out. Uh, welcome again. Thanks, Madge. So yeah, that, that's a good question because you could see it being daunting to think about changing the system when you're still brand new to it and you're still learning how it works. So what we've done with the Open School is to say students can learn about improving care at the same time they're learning how to deliver it. And in fact, they're often the best people because of their fresh perspective, their energy, and their drive to identify and to lead systems changes. So they're this incredible untapped resource often in organizations. And the Open School started seven years ago this week, and it was built on giving students these three resources to help unleash their potential. So free content in the form of our online courses and all the topics that IHI regularly teaches, so quality, safety, leadership, uh, management of healthcare operations, the triple aim, um, and this cadre of, of like-minded colleagues around the globe in local chapters who are applying these skills in real-time projects. So the first vehicle we had to facilitate projects was our practicum, and this has been very successful. It's, it's like our other online courses, except that it asks students to work with local faculty and to get feedback from IHI improvement advisors on their work. So you'll hear more about one of these projects from James and Justin, but we've seen projects come through on hand washing, OR wait times, med rec, and, and many more. Um, but as you said, Madge, we've seen tremendous uptake. Um, not only do we have more than 2 million courses that have been completed by over 300,000 learners, uh, but many have earned their certification from us. Schools have integrated our courses into their curricula, and chapters have sprung up across the globe. And with a chapter, a network this large, it's exciting to imagine this, this flywheel of students attached to the improvement of health. So the potential for collective movement is huge, and that's why we've created this change agent network. So similar to the practicum, we've built off of our virtual scaffolding to create a course that gives students an opportunity to learn through short video lectures, to apply skills in their organizing projects, and uh, come together and learn from one another in weekly coaching calls, so making it semi-synchronous and building this larger network to tap into. Um, the theory of change that we built the content off of combines systems thinking, so improvement science with community organizing and an understanding of what we mean when we say population health. So they know what we mean that health is that health is something that's inextricably social, not just a medical matter. Um, so Becca's going to talk about her experience in ICANN in a minute, but here are a few examples of some of the projects we've seen come through. Um, we've had students in South Carolina working with local community organizations to improve um, health outcomes for the medically underserved in Richland County. Um, we've had students in Florida working with qualified at-risk young mothers uh, to help them apply for federal assistance. And Jonathan uh, worked here in Massachusetts actually getting friends and colleagues and folks outside of grocery stores to commit to not texting and driving. So this just gives you a flavor of some of what we've seen. Um, so here are some of ICANN's reach so far. Uh, hopefully this gives you a picture of what's been possible by harnessing the energy of students to affect change. And you can see um, the students who've been a part of this have a better understanding of health. They have built strong relationships outside of their health discipline, often working interprofessionally for the first time. Um, they have healthier campuses and more resourcing around mental health, um, sexually transmitted diseases on campus and others. Um, and new relationships with community organizations and efforts going on regionally and nationally, as Becca will tell you more about. So we're seeing a movement, and we're really excited by it. 
Wow. So Jessica just, thanks Jess, she ran through <laughs> some very, very high level uh, way of, of uh, you know, sharing with us so many layers of things that are going on uh, daily, I think, with the open school. And um, so we hope you'll, you know, help us dig into it a little bit more uh, during the question section. So Jessica um, mentioned uh, the practicum, and that's how we learned about some of the work that Justin Slade has been doing. Um, kind of knocked me over a little bit because I thought, oh, wow, you know, this is, you know, we've been talking about sort of closing loops and drop balls in the ambulatory setting, and IHI is thinking very hard about what constitutes safety uh, in the outpatient setting these days. So you're, you're right in the thick of it. So better care coordination for patients with sickle cell disease uh, be, has been one of the main things you've been working on. Um, so I want to know how you gain the opportunity to make things better. I was curious if you just walked through the door and said, hey, I'm here to help, or did you start poking around <laughs> and see some things? And so Justin's going to tell us a little bit about the work, but also how receptive uh, folks were to letting him kind of get in there and lead some change. And welcome again. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, Insure Madge. Yeah. So um, I guess I'll start with entering medical school. It was 2012, the election cycle. You couldn't really open up a newspaper or magazine without reading about the Affordable Care Act, about a lot of the immense challenges that we face in healthcare today. And um, I was also a big fan of Atul Gawande. I'd read the Checklist Manifesto, um, the Cost Conundrum. And I came to medical school with that you know, knowledge of the challenges in healthcare, but really little idea of how I could start with regards to um, addressing some of these challenges and helping to create a better environment for my future career in, uh, in medicine. Um, and that's where the open school came in. So Boston University had an open school chapter at the time, and I became involved very quickly with that um, during my first year of medical school. And it was really great to be around peers with similar concerns. Um, and that's where I met James, who's here today and who's one of my mentors on uh, the practicum project. So about midway through my first year, I approached James. I said, hey, you know, do you have any projects for me to uh, get involved in? And there's a group at uh, Boston uh, Medical Center, which is our affiliated um, hospital, that meets every few weeks to discuss patients with sickle cell disease, which um, we treat a very large population of them at our hospital. And obviously, they face a lot of issues with uh, receiving high-quality, effective care. And um, I started meeting with this group uh, once every few weeks. And one of the problems that they had identified, but they hadn't really done anything to um, try to fix, was uh, the fact that the sickle cell patients had an extraordinarily low um, rate of follow-up after they were discharged from the hospital. And uh, we didn't know exactly how low, but just anecdotally, we knew that it was an issue. So that was my task, is they kind of just, you know, dropped this problem on me and said, you know, see what's going on and propose some things that we could do to fix this. And by follow-up, you mean people were not getting to their, coming in for follow-up appointments? Exactly. Okay. Yes, yes. Okay. And, yeah, so my initial assumption was actually that, that um, we were scheduling these appointments and the patients were not coming in. Um, but I kind of got in the thick of this and did some chart review and found that while adherence to these appointments was an issue, scheduling of the appointments was actually a much larger issue and was not happening nearly as consistently as we would have liked. Um, so less than one in five were actually attending a follow-up appointment within the first 28 days of discharge. Um, but less than 50% of these people being discharged even had appointments scheduled. And then on top of that, we found that as the um, length of time extended from when they were discharged, their adherence rate to these appointments dramatically decreased. Um, so I said, you know, adherence is an issue, but let's, let's work on scheduling first because we're not even close to where we need to be. Um, so I had this group that was already put together that I was able to meet with and, you know, present this data and um, talk about some different solutions. And a lot of them were very supportive. Um, Others were not so supportive and were very concerned when they saw some of the data that I had found. Um, one of the hematologists that I met with, um, I think her gut reaction or immediate reaction was that I was going to go like try to publish the, this data and <laughs> and show you know how bad our system you was. You run to the press with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, you know that was something I, I learned um, early was that I, it was very important to explain um, that I was not obsessing blame to anyone or. Um, 
anything like that, I was actually seeking to improve and, and not rush to publish this somewhere. Um, so I had to do that with uh, the hematologist, the inpatient service. We worked with the emergency department and um, identified some of the issues. So just some of the changes we, we made. Um, I, I found that uh, the appointments that were available were very limited um, to begin with. So it was very difficult for the um, house staff to schedule follow-up appointments for these patients. So I spoke with the hematologists, and one of them that sees the majority of our sickle cell patients agreed to set aside um, dedicated appointment slots for post-discharge follow-up. Another big concern that the residents had that I spoke with was that um, they had to call a hotline, basically, and wait on hold to, in order to schedule appointments, and it was a very long process for them. Um, it was quite burdensome in the midst of all this other paperwork they had to do. So we actually put together um, care plans that very um, simply explained how they could call a direct line to book uh, a follow-up appointment for their sickle cell patients, and that was huge. Um, we also did some more resident education, and we started admitting the highest frequency sickle cell um, visitors to our hospital to a hospitalist service that was very familiar with them and could to a provide hospitalist them. Yes, yes, uh -huh. and could provide them with uh, better care, more more personalized care, um, and. So after making these changes, some of the results were, were pretty staggering. Um, so we went from less than 50% of these patients being discharged with follow-up appointments scheduled within 28 days to 80 to 90%, depending on which wow. month it was. Um, and we more than doubled the percentage of them that were actually attending these appointments, um, which you know I think did a lot of good. And evidence shows that in other settings, um, patients with uh, with um, follow-up appointments, have a much lower 30-day uh, readmission rate, among other things. Um, so I think just taking this all in, um, you know, some of the lessons I learned is right up front for a student, there are absolutely a lot of barriers to improvement or to involvement in quality improvement. We enter uh, medical school or whatever other professional school with a limited understanding of hospital processes. We haven't yet translated the scientific method into the model for improvement. Um, and we have a small network and little to no influence within a healthcare setting. And the IHI practicum helps in a lot of those ways. It helped me to identify um, a mentor in James and also in Craig Nerona, who also uh, was one that helped me on this project. It also provided me with the knowledge that I needed to do PDSA cycles, to develop run charts, to see if the changes we were making were actually leading to improvement. Um, and that was great. And uh, it also allowed me to translate a lot of these um, things that I initially presumed were barriers into advantages. Um, and I think that's uh, what I'll close with is just the advantages to student involvement in quality improvement. I entered this with a fresh set of eyes. I wasn't normalized to deviation in our system. I saw this and said, this is not right. We need to do something about this. Um, and I didn't trust, trust my initial assumptions. I had to turn to the data because I didn't really know much to begin with. So I had to do chart review and learn more. Um, we all come from diverse backgrounds. I worked in organic synthesis. We optimized a lot of our reactions and very much the same thing that we do in quality improvement. And many other students have been improving processes for years and they just don't happen to call it quality improvement. Um, we have an ability to be hands-on and engage all stakeholders. I would do rounds with the hematologist, with the residents, and spend hours with them just trying to figure out where the system was breaking down and how we could try to fix it. And um, of course, all of us come with an enthusiasm towards creating a better future to work in. So, so in case you uh, are wondering, uh, sitting across the table here is somebody extremely enthusiastic. And I want to thank you for such a cogent presentation uh, of your work. It's really uh, um, awesome, and I think um, you know, it's right up there with all the other work we're often talking about in terms of trying to close gaps uh, around drop balls. So thank you, uh, Justin, for this work. Um, John, just go back uh, to the uh, PowerPoint that has the results on it, because I just want to make sure everybody knows. It, this is a little hard to read on the screen here, folks, but it's uh, in on the link there in the chat. Uh, if you happen to be joining us just by phone, a reminder that all your slides, um, everything will, first of all, be on IHI.org tomorrow. 
but if you're eager, you can email info at IHI.org right now and get hold of uh, all the materials. Um, but there's a lot of really great information right here. Um, and I don't know, Justin, you sounded just sort of like a duck to water in terms of <laughs> all these methods and run charts and uh, PDSA cycles uh, and everything. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted yeah, to James say is, uh, one we're, we're going to go to back in a second, but James, uh, you know, is chomping at the pit. Go, yeah, James. Yeah, just yeah. just yeah. one thing was, yeah. uh, you know, I think one of the perceived limitations uh, is what year within training can students jump in and play this role. Uh, Justin did all that as a second year medical student, it wasn't after his clinical years. Um, and he began to plan during the first that's year. Right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> right. Um, and so I just want to put that out there like, what is possible? Um, and I think this was a great way to uh, really characterize kind of your ability to be boots on the ground uh, in a way that the residents and faculty can't. Uh, we commonly identify at the faculty and resident level time as a barrier. Um, and I think this is one um, great example, I think, of the advantage that students can provide, which is really kind of at a granular level, being on the front line uh, and participating in care and, and just being an observer to see what is current state. Uh, in a way, I think that faculty and residents and other parts of the healthcare team can't. Okay, thanks so much, uh, James, and thanks again, Justin. All right, Becca, we're gonna turn to you now out in Portland on the phone. Um, as I thought about the focus of your work, which uh, ties in very well to you know the work of choosing wisely and costs of care and other efforts that are trying to put the spotlight on overuse, I was thinking that so much of the training for Justin and other you and other students is uh, hoping that you can do something uh, to make a difference in people's health and healthcare, and that does mean sometimes really wanting to do something, wanting to order something, wanting to prescribe uh, something. So I was wondering if it's just a really Really different mindset to also be learning how sometimes not to do certain things and to listen more and uh, pause uh, before uh, jumping uh, to to um, to certain kinds of interventions. So I imagine that could be a, a bit of an eye opener. But tell us uh, how you all decided to choose this work um, out in uh, Portland and um, welcome again to WHI, Becca. Thank you. Sure. Yes, and actually, um, I will talk a little bit about our Choosing Wisely pro project, but I think I want to spend a little bit more time talking more about the process and how to get involved. Um, okay, that's fine. Students, I think that's really useful. So uh, we really got our start with the ICANN course that Jess mentioned, um, and I know she talked a little bit about it, so I won't go into too much detail, but our chapter had been looking for ways to get um, practical experience and apply what we were learning in the open school courses, um, in our classrooms, through our discussions. And so ICANN really seemed like a great opportunity for us. And um, a few members of our leadership decided to take this, the first pilot course. And we really um, brainstormed a few possible project ideas. And one of our leaders was involved with the Choosing Wisely campaign through the Oregon Medical Association. And our um, chapter, we had sort of a collaborative process. We all agreed that um, working on this would be the most interesting for us. And just a quick description of Choosing Wisely, um, we can provide a, a website link if you'd like to learn more, but it's a national campaign centered around encouraging meaningful conversations between patients and providers prior to any test, treatment, or procedure that uses both um, shared decision-making and evidence-based recommendations in order to reduce unnecessary harm and waste in the medical system. And so, um, our project initially was really to spread awareness of the Choosing Wisely five questions, um, which are just five questions to ask your provider. Um, they're little wallet cards. We wanted to spread that to two student clinics through some posters and handing out wallet cards. But we received some pushback from one of the clinics who didn't want to um, add more onto all the campaigns they were already involved in. And we were having difficulty recruiting and retaining volunteers to really help us with this project. However, luckily through um, the ICANN course, we realized that we were learning more um, valuable skills to make sustainable change and, and being a part of projects, plural. And what we learned was that in order to make meaningful change, we had to organize students rather than just mobilize them, which is what our awareness campaign really was, was a mobilizing effort, and we needed to organize. So we learned um, through the curriculum more about the importance of having one-to-one -one meetings, how to asset map, um, how to find shared purpose. And so 
at the first at the end of our first PDSA for our um, project, we held a relaunch meeting where we invited public health, medical, and nursing students to really share their own personal stories about what had motivated them to attend the meeting and to commit to our ICANN project on choosing wisely. And this exercise was significant for our work because it illustrated that we had similar values about, you know, reducing cost of care, um, but also having patient-provider communication. Um, and that was really, that those similar values helped us share, hone in on the shared purpose of improving patient-provider communication. Um, but we all had sort of different reasons for why that was important to us. And we all had slightly different interests in how we wanted to address improving patient-provider communication. Um, and so we wouldn't really have known this if we didn't offer that opportunity to uh, to step back and listen. But based on these interests, we sort of built a distributed leadership snowflake um, structure, which is a model of leadership we learned through the ICANN. Uh, maybe Kelsey or Emily can include a link. Uh, it's really just about shared leadership. And so each person um, taking on a different project and still connected in the center, but each person has leadership and is recruiting their own folks for different projects share around the same general purpose. And one of those teams um, eventually became made up of first-year medical students and faculty members who are now currently working to incorporate Choosing Wisely into their undergraduate medical education program at OHSU, the Oregon Health and Sciences University. Um, so during their preclinical education period, students will learn to think critically about the root causes of unnecessary care using examples from the Choosing Wisely list that correspond to each educational system block. And uh, additionally, the Choosing Wisely campaign curriculum will be integrated into portions of the ethics curriculum, specifically around discussions of non-malfeasance, resource scarcity, equity, and justice. So, uh, but my colleague, Kelsey Priest, who's on the um, call today, would be able to better answer questions about that if some, anyone's specifically interested in that piece. Um, and there are several other projects that have come and gone based on this work that we did during the relaunch. Um, but really, again, the, the biggest benefits and one of the biggest takeaways for us from this experience is that we um, restructured our chapter leadership to use the Snowflake model, this distributed leadership model, and we added a project management coach um, who's helping the chapter develop a culture of project work for so students can plug into real QI and community health improvement projects now. Um, and we're very excited about that. And I saw that um, that project management coach, Lisa Miller, is on the call today too. So she might be interested to um, share. But um, in terms of what's next and how you can get involved, there's an ongoing pledge developed by students from ICANN and the Student Organizing Leadership Academy to encourage students to commit to improving the health of their communities um, by getting involved and ICANN is also linked to 100 Million Healthier Lives campaign, which is a global um, initiative that, and it will serve as a student hub to train students in organizing and help connect them to other regional or topic-based hubs to really make change and get to connected to projects that are happening now. Um, and because of this experience, I was asked to join the leadership team and so um, serve as a voice for students. And it's really very exciting, but still in the early stages. So uh, more to come, stay tuned. It's very exciting. I. Um, learned a lot from this experience. So. Thank you so much, uh, Becca. And you really are a team here with Kelsey Priest, who has put in wonderful links and a lot of information uh, in the chat. And so I want to uh, uh, thank you, Kelsey, uh, for your participation uh, virtually as well. And Becca, thanks for uh, giving that sense of the, the goal itself and the project is important, but how you're going to go about it uh, to actually uh, be effective is equally as important. Uh, so um, if folks have questions uh, more about Choosing Wisely, which is a, we've done some work on that program here, and they continue to support student initiatives um, with some even new grants I've been learning about. So think about uh, those questions as well. But let me go to James now. And um, James, 
I really have you to thank for, in some ways, reminding us that we have a great opportunity here with all this work going on with students to remind the rest of the healthcare community and other communities about how students can be part of, of this work. And um, I want to um, just have you elaborate on that, uh, what you're seeing. I, For instance, I was thinking as Justin was talking, so is he typical? Is this what you're dealing with, with uh, all, all, all your students at, at Boston Medical Center? And it must be hard to figure out how to place all these folks uh, if there's this much uh, interest and time and inclination. Yeah, no, it's... Um Justin was, uh, I think, very unique in the beginning, and he's been, uh, a pro him and re the process he represents has been something we've been trying to replicate at scale um, and ha I think have been successful uh, with. Um, uh, I think I'll start with the idea that um, I actually don't think healthcare and medical educators and, uh, uh, and kind of anybody who touches the health professionals and education health professionals actually understands the potential energy that can actually happen if we uh, step out of our own um, lens and actually flip this paradigm. Uh, I think that uh, so much of the way that we think of students, um, especially when we get to the professionals looking down to the students in a very hierarchical environment, is one that they are not value added, um, that it's us giving something to them uh, and uh, not something that can be bidirectional. Uh, and I think that there needs to be more work to get people to uh, be more aware about the value that these very bright, energetic, motivated, inquisitive, um, uh, uh, young people who really want to make a difference. I mean, the whole reason why they went into school of public health, the whole reason why uh, they went into healthcare administration or to medical school is to make a difference in this area. And um, and I think that we do a very bad job in the healthcare industry of realizing just how much potential energy there is to, to um, to basically partner with them in a real way, whether whether it's in ICANN and taking a look at a popu you know a patient population outcome um, and using students around kind of social motivation and engagement, um, or you know more of a like quality improvement clinical process improvement process within a healthcare setting, um, I, I just feel like there's such value added that that. Uh, we have to do more work to get people to understand uh, what this really means. Um, and it doesn't mean that it's easy. Uh, it doesn't mean that it doesn't come with the need to actively facilitate and reflect on what the process needs to be. Um, but uh, I've just gotten so much value over my last five years, really, with my starting with the involvement of, the, of, uh, of myself as the academic advisor to the Open School and then in my own institution with the Boston University School of Medicine and Boston Medical Center, really trying to, you know, can I take what I was preaching as an academic advisor to the open school and do it in my home environment? Um, and uh, I think it's just been really successful. Uh, and, and it's something that uh, I get a lot of uh, value in in the sense of, like, where I get my joy in work is, is really from the partnerships that I've been able to create uh, with, with the students. Thanks so much, James. I want to put up two uh, slides that uh, Jess and James had kind of worked on because just want to make sure we haven't missed uh, any of that, John, if you want to. Um, so just why don't you just kind of quickly walk us through yeah. these two just to make sure we can drive home some of these points here. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think that, that you know, as we think about the roles that uh, students can play, uh, I really have kind of reflected and, and centered their roles on um, uh, being one uh, kind of measures on the front lines of care, uh, being these boots on the ground can really help uh, with chart abstraction, uh, measuring behaviors on the uh, in the sense of the professional staff, um, and uh, and kind of collecting that data and then turning those, that measurement into actual performance charts, whether they're run charts, statistical process control charts, or even just pre and post. But the ability to kind of use them to be directly observers or chart abstractors um, is something that is always very helpful from a quality improvement standpoint. And then uh, the other role that I see uh, that has been very useful is on the change side of things. So. Uh, they are the direct observers of a broken system. They have their own ideas of what can uh, can lead to improvement. And then I also think that they're really good at playing the role of making sure that when you identify what change you want to make, that that change actually happens. Um, they can help you operationalize kind of either the reminders to the providers to do A, B, or C, um, the uh, 
the they can uh, help create uh, the the signage and uh, the the placards that would need you know in the sense of educational reminders. There's really a lot of roles that they can play, um, and uh, and I think that's that's beneficial. I think with the residents, um, uh, just to quickly comment on them, you know I think that. There's a there's a value to have both residents and students working together. Um, I think that the residents obviously have the clinical content um, and, uh, and in essence kind of are better aware of the system barriers because they're living and breathing them. Um, and so it's very effective to basically have both of them working together. Uh, and, and this really does create a situation where there's bi-directional value. Um, and I, I think for the students, they get to see, um, what I love about it for the students is they get the 360 degree of a healthcare problem, and they see it in real life. And um, what I like about working with students who are preclinical um, is because uh, the preclinical students come with, you know, not these biased uh, uh, eyes, and in essence are just observers. And this process helps inform them of not accepting. Um, uh, un, you know, low uh, low performing norms when they head into the third year clerkship rotation. I had another, you know, I had a student who filed a, a voluntary adverse event report at BMC uh, because she was on the heart failure service. And um, unfortunately, the documentation of the weights of these patients in a daily way for ready for rounds wasn't happening in the way that it should be. Um, and the residents were had acclimated to this and kind of said, this is unfortunately just how it is. And they shrugged it off and they would move on to the next patient. And she's like, no, this is not how it should be. Um, and, you know, and so she ended up filing a voluntary adverse event report to raise a system issue, uh, which we subsequently addressed. And I asked her, I go, Rebecca, why did you file that star? She's like, you know, if it wasn't for the QI project I did during my second year, I would never have known that that was not something to accept. Um, and it was just a very good example, I think, of the power for the students. I think the power for us as a professional is, you know, we have uh, such scale right now. I think um, uh, we have uh, upwards of about 50 to 60 students, I think, on QI projects that I've given to all the other physician quality leaders that exist across all the departments in the hospital. Uh, obviously, um, you have to facilitate the process, and I think that's one of the things that the open school is really good at. The ICANN uh, course or the uh, practicum course is is a way to offload some of the responsibility from the faculty, giving a structured experience and process that they can follow with the student. Um, but I think that uh, uh, the, the faculty have to be ready to actively facilitate the student's role. Um, but once you invest in the student, you get so much in return. And the patients do, too. Wow. Well, I think this is just fascinating, <laughs> I have to say. Maybe I'm biased, but I uh, thank you. Thank you, James, and thanks for all the really uh, very, very valuable um, work here. And in some ways, we're hearing still, even with this impressive work, just the tip of the iceberg of what's going on. So, um, But it's a pretty neat tip of the iceberg. All right, we ate into the second half hour just a little bit. Forgive us. So we had uh, stuff to get out there. It, John, just very, very quickly, we already have one question, but make sure everyone else knows how to pose questions. Yeah, we've seen some questions already. Make sure that you send to all participants down in the chat. All right, thanks. So Daphne is asking, have you had problems with sustaining student improvements after students move on? And what have you done to help sustain that? So um, is that a good question for you, yeah. James? All right, yeah. and anyone who's on the program today who's maybe involved in James's role, please feel free to uh, chime in as well. Yeah. Thanks. Um, no, it's a, it's a great question, and it constantly comes up. I think that, uh, like any good QI project, you have to have a sustainment plan. Um, and that means sustaining kind of your needs as well to continue a project going forward. So the, the students do progress from one year to another around different responsibilities. Um, and our approach, my personal approach has been, I always ask the students to find their own replacement. Um, that's part of my sustainment plan. And the students are more than happy because I think they've had a positive experience. Um, and I, you know, I say, you know what this takes. Um, you know your class or, or, or the other students. And can you help me find the next student before you leave? And then we can orient them together. Um, and I just assimilate that into my process uh, when I have students working with me on projects. Thanks. Have you found your replacement yet, Justin? I mean, you're only in the beginning of your fourth year, more or less. But do you have your eye on on somebody or somebody's uh, who are going to sustain what you've been doing? 
Um, yeah, certainly. I mean, I'll just um, yeah. comment broadly on, on our open school in general. Um, we actually have our president of the open school be a second-year student so that um, chapter, the, you mean it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. um, so that the, um, you know, the more senior students can still advise and still play a role, um, but we can get them involved in leadership early to ensure sustainability. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Jess, uh, you, you were quick on the draw there. Uh, somebody was asking, Ken was saying, what resources would you recommend for faculty of health professional education to professionals uh, to start their education? Uh, you obviously were right there with the IHI Open School, but say a little bit more about that, um, to what extent health professionals and faculty in particular can and are taking advantage of the course, courses and what you're learning about the, uh, how that's helpful. Yeah, uh, we're increasingly finding that um, faculty, deans, uh, program advisors, these, these folks are uh, oftentimes using the courses just as much as our students, and they're, they're in fact free to them as well. Um, in addition, with our practicum, we put together a faculty advisor um, handbook to help faculty who are leading improvement projects locally with some of the challenges they'll see on the ground. Okay. So. All right, thanks very much. Okay, Kate Hilton, thank you also for your uh, comments uh, and adding uh, some additional uh, links. Um, James, I'm curious, have you found that the faculty who are working with these students are also the, now finding their way to, to, to more materials as well? Yeah, you know, um, uh, definitely, I would say in addition to, to the open school and the other resources that you can get your hands on is just do your N of one. Um, and I think that all of the faculty that had to start from scratch have continued to go through their own PDSA cycles, right? Their own self-reflective process of how to make this more effective over time. Um, and there's something to be said about kind of just just take on a student and, and you will find your way. Like some important lessons we learned just for people on the on the call or on the show to, that are listening is, you know, uh, especially with the School of Public Health students or the MBA students, they don't have access to the electronic medical record. They don't even have uh, Boston Medical Center ID badge. Um, they have to, haven't gone through HIPAA training and, and all that, and they're hit, sitting there hit, uh, handling personal health information. Um, and so what we've done is worked with our volunteer office to have a student internship process um, and, uh, in essence, have an onboarding process that's expedited for these uh, student interns that uh, we can direct people through. And that's a process that, at scale, again, uh, was built and benefits all faculty that are working with students. And um, it wasn't there at the beginning. Uh, we didn't even have our head around that as a process. Uh, but as this went forward, we realized, you know, we need to understand what the A, Bs, and Cs of this to do, the, do it the right way. Okay, thanks. I want to encourage uh, those of you who are on the call, if you are a student or resident uh, in some fashion uh, training, uh, as a nurse, a doctor, health administrator, pharmacist, uh, if, if you don't mind or being willing to maybe make yourself known a little bit in the chat, and I'm curious if you're involved uh, in, in any projects, it would be fun to, to, to get some of that input from you. Um, I'm curious, and I don't know if this is a question for Jess or anyone, what if you don't have um, a, a, as much of an infrastructure going uh, in your uh, school? Maybe you're, you don't have a chapter and you don't quite have all these nice linkages and you're not even, you don't have a James Moses and um, <laughs> no less a student like you to look up to. So uh, Justin, I, I don't know if we have any advice in a way. You're a student, you're listening and you're thinking, wow, I, I'm, I'm, I'm tuned into this stuff. I, I, where, how would I get started on some of this? Yeah, and um, you know, I think it's easy to listen to me and, and you know, James here has been a great mentor and think that you know, some of the, our work only has happened because of James's enthusiasm. Um, however, um, the project that I actually described, my primary advisor was someone who has had some involvement in quality improvement um, with the residents at the at the hospital, but is certainly um, not as involved as James has been. And having taken the open school courses and um, learned a lot of the the baseline knowledge I needed to know myself, and uh, then to just work with someone who had um, just a general knowledge as well and um, uh, with regards to quality improvement processes um, that allowed us to get the project up and running and, and start um, going to work. Okay. James. Yeah, I just wanted to add, I don't, don't want Justin to sell himself short either of, like we didn't really have an infrastructure um, 
Uh, and I think it really was the interest of the students that that uh, was a key a key thing at play in, in leveraging the IHI Open School chapter at the Boston University. The 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 dean and and the leaders of the medical school really weren't kind of in touch yet with this. Um, they now are because uh, I think it's been so successful. Uh, but in a lot of ways, early on, it was this it was the students kind of navigating what who are the people in the in the clinical setting that they need to meet with. Um, and then, and then it was building those partners over time. Okay, thanks a lot, Becca. I, um, Valley out there in Portland, I want to ask you a question uh, as you venture more into the health side um, with your master's in public health and that work. I'm curious, did you find our students, um, you know, having an easy time sort of thinking about or wrapping their minds around working in the community per se uh, when they're sort of thinking about improvement as opposed to, uh, you know, working directly in the hospital or a clinic? I mean, everybody knows what the built environment of healthcare looks like. And uh, that's maybe a question for Jess as well in terms of how you start to think, well, where would I focus? If I want to make a difference in, in health. Um, so I'm, I'm just curious. I know you work, your folks are working on some of the procedure issues with choosing wisely, but what have you found in your experience and that you're taking with you still? Sure, Naj. Uh, I think the biggest part has really been just having those conversations with people and finding where their interests lie and trying to speak their language, translating you know, the, the concepts of community health and public health into a way that really resonates and makes sense for people who um, might think in terms of different language, um, maybe more clinical understandings of health. It's, and I think really it's because underlying that we all have similar sorts of values and goals and purposes for um, improving the health of our community. And so it's really just the importance of building relationships and um, figuring out how to um, connect people to what they're really um, passionate about changing and really providing space for them to um, develop their their own sorts of projects and interests within that. Thanks. Uh, Jess, what would you say? Yeah, there's this sort of um, subtext of that too, which is uh, taking on the challenge of improving the health of the population when you're um, maybe you don't see that as your priority. And so we get this question a lot. And I think, yeah, so the first, your job first and foremost is to get good at what you're studying to do. There's no denying that. It's a priority. But the argument we make is that this is increasingly your job. So um, the health needs of our communities are evolving, our education systems are falling behind, um, no longer new, but payment models and reforms are, are holding um, people, provider, uh, providers accountable for for managing larger populations. So um, this is going to require new skills and this ability to lead interdisciplinary teams of providers in continuous quality improvement. So there's this opportunity with community and with um, leadership of students in the field to do what interested students in healthcare to begin with and to really make a difference globally. So mm -hmm. um, there's this really cool dialogue going on right now nationally and internationally about upstreamists. and uh, Rishi, Upstreamists? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rishi Manchanda and his, his colleagues at Health Begins are talking about um, the tools needed to prevent unnecessary suffering. And these include a knowledge of our, our healthcare system and awareness of um, the importance of civic engagement and addressing upstream and, and downstream problems. So. Um, we need people who are thinking upstream and about population health to transform care delivery. So, Thanks, Jess. Uh, maybe you, if you can think of it or we'll get it into our resource page uh, on the archive, kind of how folks might sure. get in on that conversation. Justin, I, I, I don't know, you were nodding. I wasn't sure if you had any thoughts at all ab about this uh, in terms of students having a sense about um, I, I, I can sort of think about the problems that, you know, might be going on with appointments, you know, mm -hmm. and drop balls there. Now you're, you want me to also understand some things about, you know, um, what's going on in people's lives, even, you know, outside of the healthcare system. Do you feel students are tuned to that and having an easy time with that sense of uh, focus? Um, yeah, I absolutely think that um, the majority of students at at least our medical school um, you know, that's very much on their minds and a lot of the social determinants of health and, and um, you know, 
where, where to begin with approaching those is certainly something that um, our group, in addition to other groups at our school, think about and, uh, and work with. So there's definitely um, enthusiasm and knowledge there. Um, and yeah, okay. it'd be great to utilize that. Terrific. All right, we had an interesting, whoops, let me get my scroll bar going up here. We had an interesting question. I'm sorry, here, I'll get it here. I'm a senior health administration student. However, I'm currently working as a medical assistant. I feel that there are several missing links to our primary care clinic, and I'm trying to find that missing link. One of my classes that I'm enrolled in now is QI, and I'm looking for ways to improve the processes in our office. Well, Maria, um, thank you for mentioning that, and anyone else uh, who's on the program, uh, let us know what you figure out, uh, and uh, if you're already getting uh, some insights, maybe you could tell us uh, whether uh, the staff and folks are kind of um, open to your observations. That's one of the things we're trying to figure out is this nice dynamic and collaboration uh, that James was also talking about. Uh, James, uh, Kate is also asking about your own transformation as a provider in your work with students. Um, and uh, is that, that might be something that, you know, others are thinking about uh, who maybe haven't quite taken on some of the stuff that you have, but maybe want to. Yeah, you know, um I think there are, there are many examples that that come to mind, but I think you know I've been on my own journey, and 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 uh, the it really didn't get to the value of the student uh, uh, really until more recently. I think over the last three or four years, uh, you know, I, I was a residency program, an associate residency director. Um, I came up in a hierarchical system where you know you treat the lotus people on the totem pole uh, on the totem pole the worst, unfortunately. Um, and I think for me, uh, uh, you know, I think seeing the value has led me to take different actions even when I'm an attending provider on service. Uh, and that has actually culminated in a project that Justin and I have kind of tried to engage all the third-year clerkships this year at uh, BU to take on a quality improvement process that the students can own as part of their rotation. Um, and, and this is actually like part of their daily activity. Uh, an example for us on, on pediatrics is we're trying to assimilate interpreters into family-centered walk-rounds. Uh, and we've put the medical students in charge of making sure that happens. Um, and we actually measure it so that we know that over the last six months we've had, I think, over 400 uh, encounters with an interpreter on family-centered walk-rounds because medical students are playing a role in ensuring that that's happening. Um, and that's, that's a little bit of, from me, to the students to impact um, in the sense of the direction that Kate was asking that question. Okay, thanks a lot. Um, I see that Becca has addressed a question from Barbara on the chat, um, but Barbara is asking whether um, sort of good ways to engage students from different health professional disciplines. Um, is it an interdisciplinary ICANN chapter or chapters within each of the disciplines within the university? I don't know if, uh, just as, as somebody who's managing these ways of kind of uh, organizing yourselves, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, we, we highly encourage folks to be interprofessional and to step outside of um, not just the silos of their own discipline, but outside of the walls of their institution. Um, so a, a good way to identify folks to, to join you in your efforts are, um, in addition to what Justin mentioned in Finding James, would be to not necessarily f focus on finding people who care about the exact same thing you do, but rather who have a stake in the outcome you're trying to achieve. So from there, you can kind of build on your shared values and make commitments together um, to something that reflects a, a shared purpose. So other than, than thinking differently about who you approach, there are lots of techniques for getting more people involved. Um, asking your faculty advisor or your colleagues to leverage their relationships to find folks from different disciplines. Um, tabling at orientation and career fairs. Um, a lot of our students speak at five minutes at the beginning of a relevant class just to kind of drum up excitement. Um, going to other student interest group meetings um, to see where there might be commonalities. And as people chatted in, the, the network, the open school network, um, has got in incredible connections there to, to folks outside of discipline. So, okay, thank you very much. All right, well, you know, we're roaring to the end of the hour. Don't leave us yet. We're going to just go around the horn here now. 
and um, I don't know, pretty much say whatever you feel like it. We'll start with Becca in terms of what to look for next, uh, what, kind of what's on your plate and what are you looking forward to sort of marshalling uh, your experience uh, to date. So if we were to keep, uh, keep up with you, Becca, uh, on Twitter or whatever, <laughs> what, what will you be doing that we should keep an eye on? And, and then we'll go to the others. Thanks again. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Um, for me, I think looking forward, I'm going to be working with the 100 Million Healthier Lives campaign and um, ICANN as the student hub to really just encourage multiple um, projects to utilize students in um, the work that they're doing and then also to serve as a, a resource to connect students to these projects. Um, so that's what I'm really excited about. I would encourage people to um, look at the pledge and sign up. Um, I think Kelsey put the link in there for the, um, the pledge to get involved and, and commit to improving the health of your community. So. Okay. Well, thank you again for being part of, of today's program. I really appreciate it. Um, Justin, so what, what we're uh, watch this space with mm -hmm. you. Uh, uh, James already alluded to something you're working on with third-year students. Um, yeah. you, you got your eye on, on, on some other things as well? Um, well, <laughs> next, year, yeah, next year I'll you know, be starting my intern year, so I really want to focus this year on um, you know, just spreading the message as much as possible to my peers um, about the you know benefits of being involved in quality improvement and how they can do so. Um, I think one of the big issues that is um, you know on the plate at a lot of medical schools right now is is just student wellness and burnout, ah. and that's an issue with residents as well. And um, you know I've found that my work in quality improvement has been a really um, great way to counter that and to feel like I'm you know adding a lot of value to my patients' um, care and helping them in more ways than one. And uh, I think the project that James and I are working on, along with Jody Abbott, who's one of our other very enthusiastic advisors, is um, is a great way for for um, all all medical students at BU to um, you know add more value to the care that they're offering to their patients and to play a bigger role in the, the overall team. Well, thank you very much. I'm very intrigued by this connection that was uh, pointed to by a couple of you around health and wellness uh, among students and to what degree this this can really uh, serve as a, a very important uh, part of their experience uh, as folks are you know trying to handle um, just this just the stress of, of, of the work itself so uh, thank you very much uh, Justin uh, at some point we'll look forward also to knowing kind of how things are going with the uh, follow-up appointments on uh, uh, with sickle cell and yeah, uh, maybe so maybe you'll get enough we'll uh, look to the open school pages on the website for sort of an updated uh, uh, progress report yeah okay fantastic so uh, Jess uh, any kind of parting thoughts anything people might want to look forward to in the open school in terms of some immediate opportunities anything you really feel like saying yeah yeah, yeah. A call to action so <laughs> if, if Justin and Becca didn't uh, didn't encourage you enough I think there's tons of untapped resources out there um, we are offering another um, course of the ICANN program it starts today um, but oh. you are welcome to get involved it will be offered again um, in a few months and the practicum is asynchronous you can uh, start at any time and our whole team is here to support and help both faculty and students and professionals interested in this okay all right so that's on you would go to the uh, open school and uh, you would be able to find it all right thanks Jess thanks also for all your help in uh, organizing today's program all right James we'll give you the last word um, it's always such a pleasure and you know I've had James on this show talking about a number of issues over the lifespan uh, of uh, WIHI and I uh, there's a real sense of hope and optimism here <laughs> maybe a little bit easier than we were talking about residency hours <laughs> right right, <laughs> right. <laughs> no I um, just encourage everybody to get involved uh, and if anybody needs any help uh, the open school is here as a resource uh, we can be on the phone we can be communicating by email um, it's not just the virtual learning piece and uh, we're more than happy as a team to help really uh, facilitate anybody's process in getting involved from student to healthcare professional to faculty. Okay, very, very good. All right, thanks Justin and James and Jess and Becca out there in Portland and thank you wonderful audience. Uh, I want to remind everybody that you can download this chat when we get off the program today. Uh, also uh, follow that link in the chat uh, to all the slides. All the elements though will be on IHI.org as of pretty much mid-morning tomorrow. 
Um, and just a reminder, if you liked what you heard or you had some new ideas, uh, uh, you know, go ahead and tweet about it uh, if you have a Twitter handle and include at the IHI in, in that uh, comment. Next up on WIHI on October 1st, we're going to be talking about getting right care right. We're going to be hearing about an interesting effort uh, called that's being called for the end of October, Right Care Action Week. I think students will be playing some role in that. Shannon Brownlee, uh, who wrote a book about um, overuse in medicine several years ago, she was kind of an early uh, thought leader on this question, will be leading up that panel on October 1st. So I hope you'll enjoy, excuse me, join that show. Um, check out the archive pages tomorrow morning. And if you have any questions whatsoever as you want, as we wind up, please email info at IHI.org. We have a great team uh, that also took a summer break with me, and they're back helping WIHI. And they include John Gothier, Matt Morse, Jameson Case, Vicki Minden, Jesse McCall, Jane Rosner, Val Weber, Ruth James, and Caroline Claxton. And as always, it's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care most of all. So for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, I'm so glad you were with us today. I'm Madge Kaplan. Have a good day. <music>